one of the advantages, so to speak, I guess, uh, of having a son in, in the mission field, especially a son in Africa, is the fact that um, uh, several of the times when we visited uh, Brandon and Julie uh, in Africa, we've, uh, Lucy and I have got to take them on some safaris. Um, last time uh, in 14, in October of 14, we, we got to take them on two different safaris, and then uh, in 12, we took them on a, a safari, the first one we ever took them on. And the one in 14, in October, our, uh, our granddaughter, Michaela, I think was probably a year and a half at that point, maybe, yeah, about a year and a half old. And uh, she referred to it as going on an adventure. She wanted to go on an adventure. And so when we Skype with them now and we talk with them, Michaela a lot of times asks if we're going to come and take her on an adventure. She loves to go on adventures. Now, with that said... I want to invite you this morning, every one of you, on an adventure. Not to Africa on a safari. I mean, that'd be awesome. Uh, I think Jim's going to fit that bill for us back there. But uh, um, I want to invite you on an adventure. In fact, it's a mission that everyone who claims Jesus Christ as their Savior, everybody who has surrendered their life to him, and you are a part of this. And let me tell you, once you surrender, he begins the process of transforming us. And so he renews us, he cleanses us, he sets us free, he forgives us, he adopts us. But then he sends us out into a non-believing world to share the most incredible gift that we've ever been given. And the amazing thing is we don't have to go alone because his spirit that's within us goes with us. And the cool part is that as we go, we will begin to discover, we will begin to find out what it really means to be alive. I mean, fully and completely alive in him. And we will realize that we are now sharing in the greatest adventure on this planet. It's God's kingdom work. So, what does that look like for us as a church? I mean... What's our mission here at The Journey? Well, if you've been with us very long, hopefully you have discovered what our mission is. We have it on our banners. We talk about it. We, if you've been here for a while, at least twice a year, I'll preach about it because we want you to know what it is. It's simply this, to love God, love others, and love the world. That's the mission God has called us on as a church. Here's the thing. Our relationship with God as well as the church, it's not about religion. I mean, there's a new religion popping up almost every day. It's not about religion. It's not about keeping the right rules or the right rituals. It's not about that. It's about a relationship. A relationship with God, first and foremost, then a relationship with others, and then a relationship with this community and the world around us. And so over the next several weeks, we want to unpack each of these areas. And I'm going to do it in two different ways. The first is this. You are going to get to hear from our staff. You will get a glimpse into how they are fulfilling our mission in their areas of ministry. Uh, Eric 
Spencer was in the first service, but we were blessed to have Eric as a part of our church, and Eric was able to put these videos together for us. Just did an amazing, amazing job. And so we're going to see how all this unpacks as a staff. But second of all, I want to be able to give you then some practical ideas of how we can make these a part of our life. How we can love God, how we can love others, how we can love the world. Pray with me as we begin. Father, I just thank you for these next few moments that we have together. Lord, I pray that you begin to do a work in our hearts and in our lives. And God, I pray that this morning we will all want the greatest adventure as a part of our life as well. But teach us today, Lord, how to love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we want to begin to unpack this first piece today. And it's simply this. We're called to love God. I mean, that's the first part of our mission is to love God. Let me ask you, and I'm, ve I'm very serious about this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were more in love with God than you are right now? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to answer. But I want you to think about it. And I want you to be very honest with yourself because the reality is God knows your heart. You're not putting anything over on him. Has there ever been a point in time when you've been more in love with God than you are right now? Or how about this? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to Jesus than you are right now? Where that intimacy that you have and that you've felt has been stronger than, than maybe it is right here, right now? You see, I believe that the only way we can become the church God has called us to be is for each and every one of us to fall in love with God. I mean, that should be our number one passion because the reality is this church can't be any stronger than its people. And if we're not loving God, we're not going to love God as a church. And so it begins right here today as we simply say, I want the number one passion of my life to be loving God. To, be, to, to love him. Now, one of the passages that we've looked at as we've unpacked this piece before is found in Mark chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 12. It's just verses 28 through 30. And even though I don't want to spend a lot of time on this particular passage, I do want to use it as a foundation today that we can kind of build upon. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. Now, a little background. As you come into this passage, the religious leaders have been trying their best to discredit Jesus and his ministry, especially among the common people. And as we come into this section of scripture, one of the scribes, an expert in the law, he just asked Jesus a question that was constantly under debate by the Pharisees. But instead of debating the issue, Jesus just cuts right to the chase, and he gets to the heart of the matter. And he basically says this, if you want to know what's most important, what the number one passion of your life should be, then here it is. So starting in verse 28, this is what we read. One of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus arguing with the Sadducees. Seeing that Jesus gave good answers to their questions, he asked Jesus, which of the commands is most important? Jesus answered, the most important command is this. Listen, people of Israel, 
The Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now this command illustrates, I believe, the truth that that God desires a personal relationship with each one of us. He desires a relationship that's not just talked about, but a relationship that's personally embraced in intimate fellowship with him. You see, the word love is the verb agapeo, and it's a love of intelligence and purpose, of sacrifice and hard decisions. It's a willful and determined love that generously looks out for the interests of others, and it flows out of an inner life that's filled and controlled by a faith relationship with the Father. You see, I believe that this shows us that we are to hold nothing back when it comes to our commitment to God. Because the bottom line is this, if we hold back, it will restrict our capacity to love. So then, how can we begin to live this out, especially as a church? Well, this morning, by video, you're going to hear Adam. And you're going to see how, as our worship and youth pastor, as how he is beginning to implement these things into his ministry. How he's helping us in worship to love God deeper. How he is helping our youth to love God more in their life. So let's watch. The Journey's mission is to love God, love others, and love the world. But what does that really look like? How do we make that mission a lifestyle? Recently, our pastor shared insight into these questions. statement is that I believe it starts right where we as believers need to start and that's with loving God when we love God it's not limited to Sunday mornings or just worship worship in my mind is surrender when we surrender to God that's truly loving God loving God starts right here on Sunday mornings with praising him and glorifying him through our songs and through our service through communion through offering, through hearing the word, but it doesn't stop there. It continues, and it may sound cliche. It may have been said before, but worship is truly a lifestyle. Worship is something that we do every day, every moment, every time that we surrender to God. It is an act of worship, and that, I believe, is why our mission statement is so great, because it starts us right where we need to be, puts us in a position of submission and surrender to God through loving Him. Everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. With everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. It may seem like there's a disconnect between loving God and worship ministry and what we do, but as a team, we all function together as one thing. 
when, she, when Michelle is working on VBS, it is such an exciting time for me as well as a worship pastor to get to do things with the equipment that I don't get to do on a regular basis. When the children come up and do a children's program and the teens get to participate with that and the entire congregation gets to see an amazing program put together by Michelle and her volunteers, the lights, the sound, everything that God has blessed us with is something that we've never been able to when do before. Feel us move with you when we loud a loud fill our smiles with you when we lift our voices louder still can you hear us teens and loving God it's a challenge it's a challenge this day and age because of the, the difficulties that teens face. But the great thing is, is when we consider loving God as surrender, when we consider loving God as understanding who we are through Him, then we are able to start communicating that to the teens. Teens can get caught up very quickly with social media and everything that's going on in their schools and their extracurricular activities. And even sometimes as parents, we nudge them in the wrong way thinking we're doing the right thing. But the reality is that when we start to encourage them that if we put our love for God first, then we set them up for success later on Praise in life. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise when we work with teens, it's a challenge to impress upon them the significance of the role that they're able to play in the body of Christ. But they have a great responsibility that is talk, spoken about in the Bible, and they have a great opportunity to do that, especially here at The Journey, but anywhere that God might take them in the future. The last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he was ascending to heaven, he said to go make disciples and to give us the Great Commission. And I can't even begin to imagine what God has in mind for The Journey. If we continue to act in faith, to trust him, knowing that He can guide us, knowing that He will guide us. The sky's the limit. Going out into the world, working together as a church, serving this community, loving God and surrendering to Him, putting children and teens first in our hearts and minds, knowing that they are the new Christians, the new generation. There's so much to look forward to over this next year and coming years at The Journey. We've seen it over the last year or so with the renovation, but if we continue to trust Him, our wildest dreams will pale in comparison to reality. If we trust God, if we surrender to Him, and if we put Him first and keep Him first, we will all be blown away by what's possible. The praise team will continue to work hard, we'll serve together, we'll grow together. But as we continue to work together as a team and continue to love God through surrendering to Him through the gifts and talents that He's given us with the equipment that we now have with the resources that we now have that are available to us we can do things that we never were able to do before with the teens having a teen room a place that is our place a place where we can put things on the wall and play the crazy music that everybody seems to hate it's ours now and it gives us an identity to springboard from 
so that we can continue to grow as a group spiritually as well as numerically and inviting our friends, introducing them to Christ, helping them to realize that being a Christian is an amazing thing, but being a Christian can also be a blast. It can be fun. And I can't wait to see what God's going to accomplish if we just can continue to surrender to Him, to continue to love Him in all ways, praising Him, glorifying Him, and giving Him everything that we are. This community, I truly believe, could come to Christ, could come to know Him. And um, good things are coming. awesome, wasn't it? But that's what we're about. It's about loving God. But as I watched that and as uh, I thought about what I wanted to talk to you about today, the question that kept coming into my head was this. How do we keep that love? I mean, how do we keep that flame burning strong? Well, the reality is, is as a, a church, our love for God, again, is, is dependent on the love that each of us individuals has for the Father. And here's the thing. No matter how good we think we are, if we're not careful, that flame can slowly begin to burn out. It can slowly begin to diminish until it's gone. In fact, Jesus addresses this issue in Revelation chapter 2 as he begins to write to the seven churches. And the first one he looks at and he talks to is that church in Ephesus. It's found in Revelation chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 2. This is what we read. I know what you do, how you work hard and never give up. I know you do not put up with, with the false teachings of evil people. You have tested those who say they are apostles but really are not. And you found they are liars. You have, patience, you have patience and have suffered troubles for my name and have not given up. Now, if we were to just stop there with these two verses, you would think, and it doesn't sound like they have any problems. In fact, on the surface, they appear to be a pretty phenomenal church. They appear to be, on the outside, the epitome of what every church should be. I mean, what did he say? They, they, they were persistent. They were hardworking. They were patient. They didn't put up with false teaching. All good things. But as good as these things looked on the outside, inwardly, in their hearts, there was a serious problem. They had lost the most important thing. They had lost that love for God. And so after praising them for their strengths, Jesus goes on to say this, starting in verse 4. He says, But I have this against you. You have left the love you had in the beginning. So remember where you were before you fell. Change your hearts and do what you did at first. If you do not change, I will come to you. I will take away your lampstand from its place. Now, I want you to think for a moment about that first part of verse 4. And I want you to allow that to sink in. When Jesus said, but I have this against you. 
Because that's actually a pretty telling statement, isn't it? But I have this against you. You see, most of us, we don't like it when we know someone has something against us, do we? I mean, think about it, we don't. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us nervous. But how would you feel if you knew that Jesus had something against you? I mean, how would that make you feel? And what was it that Jesus had against this church? Well, the church had left their first love. Now, this doesn't suggest that they no longer had a love for Jesus. It implies that the quality of their love had weakened. It had diminished. That flame had slowly begun burning down. They no longer loved the Lord as they did when they first came to him. Here's the thing. Regardless of how much of the Bible you know, regardless of how much you serve, you may sing, you may teach, you may play, you may work with the youth, you may work with the kids. No matter how many victories you've had in the past, you cannot walk in an intimate fellowship with the Lord if you do not love him with all your heart. It just can't happen. In order to truly walk in intimacy with our God, we have to love him with everything that we are. In fact, I think that it's significant that all of the things that Jesus points out to the seven churches here in these first several chapters of the book of Revelation, the thing that grieves him the most is a loss of passion and a loss of love for him. That's the thing that grieves him the most. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment, especially you ladies. Okay, all you ladies, I want you to think about this. What would you think if your husband came home and simply said, I just want you to know, I don't love you as much as I did when we first got married. I just don't love you that way anymore. I like you, you're okay. But I just don't love you. But then he says, but you know what? That's okay because nothing's really going to change. I mean, I'm still going to learn, earn a living, and I'm still going to pay the bills, and we're still going to live together. We're going to sit together. We're going to sleep together. I'm still going to be the father of our kids, and I just want you to know, I just don't love you that way anymore. Now, let me ask you, would that be good enough for you, ladies? Would it? Would that be good enough for you? There's no way. In fact, you would be devastated if that happened. And yet, here's what I want us to understand. Our life says that to the Lord almost every day we live. Because what we don't understand is this. Our life speaks volumes. And our life basically says at times, Jesus, I just want you to know, man, For whatever reason, I just don't love you the way I once did. I don't love you the way I did when I first accepted you. But Jesus, I want you to know that that's okay because I'm going to still go to church. I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to teach. I'm still going to give a few dollars here or there. But you just need to know I just don't love you that way anymore. And let me be really honest with you. That is not good enough for him either. It's not good enough for him. 
He wants a relationship of intimacy. He doesn't want a relationship of convenience. And there's a difference. That's why Jesus said in Mark 12 passage that we looked at first, that we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So then, if that's the case, then what do we do? I mean, how do we begin to rekindle that flame? How do we get that love back? Well, Jesus gave them several things to do. I just want to touch on the two basic things that he said because of time. The first one is this. If you want to restore that love, this is what he says. He says you need to remember. You need to remember. He put it this way. So remember where you were before you fell. Remember where you were before you fell. Now, unfortunately, our tendency as humans is to forget the things we should remember, and we remember the things we should forget, don't we? I mean, that's just kind of how we do. That's why if we are not careful, we, for, we can forget the fact that before we accepted Jesus, we were lost. Now, I want, I want that to sink in for a moment. Before we accepted Jesus Christ into our life, we were lost. We were no different than the murderer, the prostitute, the drug dealer who is out there on the streets today who does not know Jesus Christ. We were no different. Because before we accept Christ, we are lost. Now here's the problem. And please don't take me wrong and please don't misunderstand me. But I've just seen this to be true over the last you know, 36 years of ministry. And that is this. I would, at, I would at times, I would much rather sit down and talk with someone who has never stepped foot in, in a church building at all and help them to become a Christian. You know why? Because they understand what it's like to be lost. And the hard part is, and please don't take this wrong, but it's true. The hard part is for some of us who have been raised in church all of our life, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, but the problem with it is this. For some of us, we can't remember back to when we were lost. Why? Because we were just always in church and we just assumed we were saved. But Jesus says, if you want to get that love back, you need to remember. You need to remember what it was like to be lost and to be outside and to know that now, because of my son's death on the cross, you have life. And you're saved. You need to remember. You see, memory can be a very powerful part of our lives. I mean, they can stir up emotions and feelings that may have been hidden or even lost in the busyness of life. I think that's why anniversaries can be so special, because they help you to reflect back on that love that brought you both together. I mean, that's what anniversaries do, especially if you remember where they, when they are. But isn't that what an anniversary is supposed to be about? I mean, isn't it about remembering back? I'll be very honest with you. And I shared this with the first service. I wasn't even going to do this. It just, it's just something I felt like I was supposed to do. But I can remember exactly the first time I met my wife. I was a youth pastor on weekends. I was going to Ozark Christian College and Lucy lived in Ponca City, Oklahoma. It's about a three-hour drive, and 
every weekend I went over and I was the youth pastor on weekends at her home church and her mom was trying to set us up, which I didn't know at the time. But so between Thanksgiving and Christmas, she invited me over for dinner after church one Sunday because Lucy was going to be home from college. She was going to OU, I think, at the time. And so I went over for lunch and I met Lucy and we had lunch and she wasn't interested, neither was I, and she left and went back to school, and I left and did what I did. <laughs> that was in December. In May, and I think it was actually May 8th, the people that I lived with on weekends, their daughter was getting married, and Lucy was serving in the wedding. And so when I pulled up at the exact same time as guess who? Lucy, so she gets out of the car, and I get out of the car, and we begin to talk. I kind of remember back to that first time we met, which really wasn't much. She was serving the punch bowl that day at the wedding. I drank a lot <laughs> that day. In fact, in fact, between May 8th and June 6th, there were very few days that we did not spend the evenings together. Because on June 6th, I asked her to marry me after three weeks. We were married two months later on August 18th. So when I asked her to, to marry me that day, I was getting ready to, I was leaving that day to go back to my home in Indiana for the summer. And so I had Lucy come with me. My mom and dad didn't even know I was dating anybody. <laughs> and here I pull up and, and they could tell as soon as she got out of the car and I got out of the car. But I remember that. It's ingrained in my, in, my, in my mind and in my heart. It's a part of who I am. And it's a part of why I love her so much. It's because I remember those first times we were together. That's what he's talking about. He says, we want, you need to remember back. I think that's why Jesus told the church in Ephesus to remember. He knew that if the church would just remember the joy and the freshness of that first love that they had as they walked with him, that it would stir up that love once again, and it would awaken a new hunger within their lives. And so let me ask you, do you remember the day that the Lord saved you? Do you remember it? Do you remember the day you crossed the line and you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Do you remember that? And do you remember the excitement and the joy and the peace that came over you when you said that to, to Christ? When you took him as your Lord and Savior, do you remember that? Because you need to. Because if your love is, is, is fading, you need to remember that love that you had for him. Let me tell you. I'm going to be honest with you again. I still remember the day, even though it's been 44 years ago, that I crossed the line and I gave my life to Christ. I was 15 years old. I had rode my bike on a Saturday morning over to my youth pastor's house. And I had breakfast with him and we were sitting around the breakfast table and he shared the gospel with me and he shared Jesus with me and I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And we left that table and we went to the church and I was immersed in the Christ. I remember that day like it was yesterday. How about you? Do you remember? Jesus says, remember. Remember. But the second thing he says is to repent. 
to repent. He put it this way. Change your hearts and do what you did at first. Now, here's the problem we have today, unfortunately. We live in an age where there is no longer any fear over the consequences of sin. Our society wants us to believe that God is benevolent and that he's good and would never hold us accountable for our actions. I mean, isn't that what we're really taught today? And so if that's the case, then we no longer have to examine our lifestyle by the principles taught in the, by Jesus in the word. You see, I think that many people fool themselves into believing that because we live under grace, then everything is taken care of and we can just live as we please. But God's word is very clear on the issue. And it's this. God loves sin, but he hates... God loves the sinner, but he hates sin. He loves the sinner, but God hates sin. In fact, it was our sin that sent Christ to the cross. So, if God hates sin, then how can we think that it's okay to live in it? Now, the word repent just means to turn away from. It means to make an about face. It's a, it's a total change of thought and behavior. Solomon wrote in Lamentations 3, verse 40, let's take a good look at the way we're living and, and reorder our lives under God. Now, why is that's so important. Well, it's important because as you take the time to examine your heart, guess what? God is going to begin to pinpoint areas of your life that need to change. Here's the thing. When sin is not dealt with, it will destroy the spiritual passion in your heart. It will gradually begin to lower the flame. I think that's why David writes in Psalm 32, Verses 3 and 4, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You see, in David's life, even though outwardly, everything looked like it was okay in David's life. He was still winning battles. He was still doing all the things he had been doing as king. Everything looked really good. But inside, man, it was destroying him. When our son Brandon was at the University of Oklahoma, he'd only been there for, I think it was his second or third year. And he, had a, he had bought a used Scion TC, and it was in great shape. And so we were visiting one weekend. <laughs> at his place and I just remember he had spent time washing it and waxing it and it just looked so good it was such a good looking car he thought he was going to fool us but I asked him to take me somewhere in his car and he kind of hesitated and then when I got in it I understood because it looked like somebody had rolled the windows down and just put a dumpster in it I mean there was trash everywhere you couldn't even sit in the back seat I mean it was just filled with stuff and I thought, man, that's a lot like our life, isn't it? We spend a lot of time cleaning up the outside, making the outside look really good so that people even in church will never know what we're really like. But inside, man, we are trashed. Let me tell you, when we don't deal with the issues in our heart, 
One of the things that happens is that guilt will begin to raise its ugly head and it will begin to deteriorate our love for God. I think few things rob us of our joy and our confidence and our passion more quickly than, than guilt does. I think that's why David goes on in Psalm 38 and verse 4 and says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. You and I, we're not made to live with guilt. That's why God sent Jesus to this planet to die on a cross, to become our substitute, so that he could offer us a gift, a gift of freedom from sin and guilt. So what do we do when guilt raises its ugly head? Well, understand that Jesus has already done all that's needed on the cross. And what we do is simply this. We come to him and we confess our sin. Look what 1 John 1, 9 says. But if we confess our sins, in other words, if we tell God, we tell him what we've done, he already knows what we've done. We're not hiding anything from him. And we're not telling him anything he doesn't already know. But he wants us to come to him. If, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins be, because we can trust God to do what is right. Get this, he will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. Wow, isn't that awesome? I think that he'll cleanse us when we repent and confess and turn back to him. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Let me, let's imagine if you would, because and, and I'm almost done. I know we're a little longer, but, but bear with me. Just imagine that we had a chalkboard up here. I've shared this with you before, I want, I just, but it really helps us to understand it. Suppose we have a chalkboard up here, and Ray's sitting back there. Hi, Ray. Now, let's just suppose that nobody is in here, okay? And, and, and on this chalkboard, it's Ray, I said, right? Okay, so we're going to have like three or four chalkboards up here because it's Ray, because I'm going to write down every sin he's ever committed, okay? So maybe four or five chalkboards and a box of chalk, and, and I'm writing down every sin that Ray has committed on these chalkboards. And once I get that done, I invite you all to come in, and I say, you see those chalkboards? That's Ray's life. And you go, whoa, man, what a sinner was he? But let's suppose that before you come in here, and before I invite you in, I take a wet rag and I wash every one of these chalkboards until they are clean. And then I invite you in and I say, do you see those chalkboards? That's Ray's life. It represents every sin he's ever done. And you say, what sin? Why? Because they're gone. They've been washed. They've been cleansed. They're no longer there to affect his standing before his God because Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on the cross cleanses us and washes us clean. Now let's reflect. Adam's going to come. You know, if we were completely honest today, I wonder how many of us would have to say that we've lost our love for God, because, get this, we filled our lives with the things of the world, and we no longer have any room left for God. 
A.W. Tozer wrote, We may want God, but we want something else more. And we get what we want 